Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Tuesday on the Three Martini Lunch, and we are brought to you today by NetSuite by Oracle, netsuite.com slash martini. Jim, I got a Twitter comment yesterday saying, is it just going to be the crazy three martini lunch now since we've had a lot of all crazy days lately? And I said, well, that's not the goal, but 2020 itself is kind of a crazy martini. But uh, today it's not all crazy. We have two bad martinis and a crazy. So I don't know if you think that's better, but it's different. So let's dive right in here and go to our first bad martini, President Trump. It's not often he gets ratioed, Jim, but at the moment he is, shortly after noon here on Tuesday Eastern Time, for this tweet. Buffalo protesters shoved by police could be an Antifa provocateur. 75-year-old Martin Gugino, I think that's how you say it, was pushed away after appearing to scan police communications in order to black out the equipment. One American News I watched, he fell harder than he was pushed, was aiming the scanner, could be a setup. And the guy was bleeding out of his ear. And this goes right into uh, the thesis of a story you published in the last day or so about how we were all unified in that something needed to be done to stop uh, incidents like the, the killing of George Floyd. And then the insane people on all sides decided to ratchet it up to 11. And that brief fleeting moment of goodwill has turned into raucousness and inanity ever since. So uh, what do you make of Trump and how do we get out of this? So just right before we started taping, a corner post that I wrote is up there now, Greg. And there are a lot of people who would say, Jim, you're always ragging on President Trump. You're so clearly an anti-Trump, you know, uh, never Trump, rhino, squish, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, from where I sit, the president has an argument to, be, to make for his reelection. It would go something like, um, I know not everybody likes my personality. I know not everybody likes the way I do my job. I'm a fighter and that rubs people the wrong way. But take a look at my record, particularly as the country stood at the beginning of the year. Record low unemployment, a booming stock market, wages rising, sweeping criminal justice reform enacted, right to try, solid record on judges, renegotiated trade deals. Oh, they weren't really that changed that much. Uh, <laughs> global energy leader, border security, the border fence is being built. And then the coronavirus came along and it kicked us in the teeth. And it was really bad. We have bent the curve. We are on the comeback trail. You saw two and a half million jobs come back in just one month. You know, I demonstrated I can get this done. Trust me, with another four years, I'll have us back where we were even better. And, you know, the alternative, of course, is that, you know, Joe Biden doesn't want to stand up to the left wing. All those kind of stuff. The Democrats gave him, just gift wrapped him, this perfect, you know, present of defund the police or abolish the police. I can't think of anything that is better at freaking out the soccer moms in the suburbs than to say, hey, let's just not have police. You know, this is where like NPR reporters will jump in and say, well, what they really meant was, uh, but Trump doesn't do that. And instead he decides to go off on uh, this, uh, this belief that the 75 year old protester had it coming, that he had some sort of secret device that was trying to interfere with the police equipment or something. Look, the police were telling him to clear the street. They were not responding to a riot. So I think there's a little, you know, this strong argument to be made that uh, if this had been a, a you know, terrible out of control situation, maybe you can see in, a, uh, in that sort of situation. The man did not represent any particular threat to them. And of course, he gets pushed down. Now, you said he was bleeding from the ear, Greg. I have been reliably informed by anonymous accounts on Twitter 
<laughs> that he's wearing two masks. And if you look closely, there's a little pump that demonstrates he's pumping out fake blood from the ear. So, Greg, you didn't catch that. But uh, you got to go on social media and find, you know, X49342, you know, they're out to get you, uh, .com is the uh, site that has this kind of stuff. Um, in addition to it, the president's going on tirades saying that his former Secretary of Defense, James Mattis, was our country's most overrated general. And he's retweeting Seb Gorka saying that Mattis was a lapdog and an embarrassment to America. By the way, Seb Gorka also said on his program recently that James Mattis is not a real Marine. I'll give it our readers, our listeners a moment to, to, to you know, recover from the spit take they just took. Um, by the way, Seb Gorka is not a Marine, but he's decided he gets to. I guess it's like Joe Biden getting to decide who's black. I guess uh, so, Seb yes. Gorka gets to decide who's a real Marine. But anyway, like this sideshow circus stuff gets in the way of, of reassuring people about the kind of leader Trump can be and the record that he could accumulate and the things that he can get right. And he just doesn't seem to be interested in it. And he, you know, somebody just, you know, he, he really seemed to believe I need to go out and explain to Americans that this 75 year old guy who got shoved down by a cop, the whole country watching that he might've been the bad guy in this, that, that he, he probably had it coming and the cop was the good guy. And um, it's just a, a, you know, every day this president finds some new way to step on a message that might get him reelected uh, and instead chase the, I would say it's not even the Fox News crowd anymore. It's now the One American Network crowd because he's very upset that Fox News isn't being nice enough to him. First of all, if you push a 75-year-old person, it doesn't take a lot in most cases uh, to send them sprawling. It's not like uh, LeBron James flopping after taking a charge or something. I mean, it doesn't... Uh, take a huge shove to do that in most cases. But the president, you know, in the first couple of days after the Floyd killing did pretty well. He had said, you know, I got the FBI on this. I got the Justice Department on this. We're going to make sure we get to the bottom of this and the justice is done. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the rioting started. A lot of folks didn't like, of course, uh, the walk to St. John's Church. Then there was the tweet about Mitt Romney marching on Sunday. Uh, he obviously doesn't like Mitt Romney. There's a lot of reasons he doesn't like Mitt Romney. The, uh, the conviction vote uh, probably being at the top of the list, but he just seemed to mock the whole idea of protesting, even a peaceful protest, which uh, is not a good look for him either. So uh, I don't know if he had engendered a lot of goodwill in those first couple of days, but uh, for a guy who should be looking to thread the needle here between maintaining law and order and advocating reforms so there's equal treatment uh, in the hands of law enforcement, uh, he seems to have lost that balance. Yeah, and look, in the end, you would think, you know, here we are getting into June in the election year. Um, we are now well into summer. People vote in November. People early vote, particularly if a lot more people are going to be voting by mail this year, um, significantly earlier than that. As Yogi Berra said, it gets late early out there you probably want to focus. Uh, you probably want messages you want people to be thinking about in the closing months of this election. And, you know, as I just laid out the, the record of the economy, the record on judges, the record on legislation he's been able to sign into law, like he could do all that. He doesn't talk about all that kind of that stuff all that much. Okay, that's in the prepared remarks. When, when Trump goes off on tangents and free associates, what stirs Trump the most is what somebody said about him on television lately. And that is what, you know, that, and he can't just, it seems incapable of prioritizing any message that is important to his reelection campaign over whatever has pissed him off earlier that day. Not good, but... Uh, Sad, uh, not uh, good, bad. All right, well, let's talk about our fine sponsor for today. That is NetSuite by Oracle. And, you know, right now, a lot of businesses having to adapt to a lot of telework, to uh, a lot of different working arrangements. 
people needing remote access, all sorts of things needing to be different than they were just a couple of months ago. And I have a feeling they're going to be different than they were a couple of months ago going forward, as a lot of people see how the work from home experiment uh, worked here. And so if your organization needs to have something better than what it's got right now, NetSuite by Oracle is where you need to look because there's enough uncertainty to go around right now. You can see all of our crazy martinis every day. NetSuite reduces it by giving you visibility and control. And with so many critical decisions to make, you have to have the right numbers and you need them right now. NetSuite by Oracle is the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, you get financials, cash flow, payroll, inventory, and more all in one place. So you have clear visibility and total control of your business. NetSuite customers have the flexibility to work from anywhere with immediate clarity on critical information right at their fingertips. No more guessing, no more waiting. You can make smarter decisions with confidence because you've got crystal clear visibility into your numbers. You can join more than 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to stay in control. And also right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can receive your free guide entitled Managing Business Uncertainty and schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash martini. Don't wait to get that free guide and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash martini. netsuite.com slash martini. All right, Jim, we spent a lot of time in the past couple of days talking about how the Minneapolis City Council has gone insane, looking to literally dismantle the police department. Uh, some of their folks were on CNN yesterday, Lisa Bender in particular, uh, and CNN was basically begging her to say, well, when you say defund, you don't, you don't really mean defund. No, we really do. We really mean dismantle. And so uh, they weren't taking the, uh, the cues. Uh, Biden, of course, saying he's not uh, yesterday in favor of dismantling police or defunding them. But uh, in this situation, you would think the police would be acting a little smarter, too. Uh, and that apparently was not the case during some of the most difficult days of the protests and the uh, riots in recent weeks. Uh, Star Tribune of Minneapolis, two law enforcement agencies acknowledged Monday that officers patrolling Minneapolis during the height of recent protests knifed the tires of numerous vehicles parked and unoccupied in at least two locations in the midst of the unrest. Video and photo images posted on the news outlet Mother Jones show officers in military-style uniforms puncturing tires in the Kmart parking lot at Lake Street and Nicolette Avenue on May 30th. Images from South Washington Street at Interstate 35 West also show officers with knives deflating the tires of two unoccupied cars with repeated jabs on May 31st. Department of Public Safety spokesman Bruce Gordon, I don't know if he's related to the commissioner, confirmed that tires were cut in a few locations. He quote, state patrol troopers strategically deflated tires in order to stop behaviors such as vehicles driving dangerously and at high speeds in and around protesters and law enforcement. Jim, we make fun of headlines all the time when there's terrorist attacks and it says, car attacks crowd and uh, dozens hurt or something like that. And that's exactly what the police are trying to say here. We want to make sure those vehicles that were unoccupied didn't drive dangerously. I know it was yeah. a very tense time, but you got to be better than that. I mean, I suppose the, the, the counterpoint to that is that it wasn't the police that punctured the tires, Greg. It was the knives. You know, there are variations of this quote. I believe I'm going to quote the... Um, deep philosophical work of art known as um, John Wick Part 3 Parabellum. Um, I'm sorry, probably Chapter 2, but it was one of them is, you know, there are rules. They are the only thing that separate us from the animals. The police are not supposed to be the uh, biggest, toughest gang 
on the street. They are not supposed to be vindictive. They are not supposed to commit crimes in the process of attempting to solve crimes. I will understand if years of Hollywood buddy cop movies have led you to believe that generally uh, it involves a great deal of breaking and entering without a warrant, shooting at people, you know, all kind of stuff. But generally police are supposed to be upholders of the law. And the reason people say the cops aren't supposed to uh, let off relatives for speed of the, <clears throat> the old police benevolence fund idea that, you know, you show the card and you get let off with a warning about your speeding ticket and stuff like that. Equal justice under the law means that those enforcing the law have to be accountable to the law as well. Puncturing somebody's tires, that's, that's vandalism. That's, that's damaging somebody else's property. That's not, you know, that's not crime fighting. That's not uh, uh, something that, you know, so that, that's, you know, because you don't know the person who has that car is necessarily a criminal. Even if they do, like, you know, when, when the police brought in OJ, Greg, did they puncture the tires in the white Ford Bronco? Once you've got the guy, you don't really need to worry about his car. Maybe you got to take it to the impound lot if it's parked somewhere. That's the only other, you know, circumstance. But there's really no reason to destroy it. This is a bit like um, the vandalism equivalent of police asset forfeiture. Well, we found you with this. This belongs to you and you're a criminal, so we're going to do this to your property as opposed to simply taking your property. It is outrageous behavior. It really does indicate that there is something. This is not just one or two bad apples. This is not just... Um, uh, one or two folks who, um, you know, are, are not, have forgotten their oaths and forgotten the values they're supposed to uphold. This indicates that there is some sort of systemic rot in this police force that suggests they don't believe that the laws and rules apply to them. Guess what, fellas? It does, and you need to be held accountable, and it's good to see that there may be a case of uh, accountability in this situation, but man, where do they ever get the idea that slashing tires, uh, sl when, when the police work involves slashing tires, you made a wrong error somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, the thing is, you know, these cars are unoccupied. And as far as I can tell from reading this story, they had no idea who they belonged to. So, well, let's just let's just cut these tires and <laughs> that'll be one less thing we have to worry about. It just the, the logic escapes me, even if uh, you thought you did have a legitimate reason. But it just it just makes no sense. All right. Let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And this broke yesterday afternoon. You and I both tweeted about this. Uh, I think your tweet turned out to be more accurate. Uh, because uh, the World Health Organization is once again backpedaling like crazy. Uh, you talk about it in the morning jolt. So there's this woman, I'm probably going to butcher her last name, but it's Dr. Maria Van Kirkhove. She's the head of the World Health Organization's Emerging Diseases and Zoonosis Unit. So uh, she added to public confusion about the coronavirus on Monday by saying, quote, from the data we have, it still seems to be rare that an asymptomatic person actually transmits onward to a secondary individual. It's very rare. And as you point out, the CNBC headline was, asymptomatic coronavirus patients aren't spreading new infections. And as you suspected in your tweet, the World Health Organization is walking this back with Dr. Van Kirkhove herself saying this. I was responding to a question at the press conference. I wasn't stating a policy of WHO or anything like that. I was just trying to articulate what we know she said on a live Q&A streamed across multiple social media platforms. And in that, I use the phrase very rare, and I think that's, uh, that that's misunderstanding to state that asymptomatic transmission globally is very rare. I was referring to a small subset of studies. And then the article goes on to say that studies and models show that 16% of the population may be asymptomatic, and asymptomatic people could still, according to the models, trigger as many as 40% of the global transmission. So, Jim, it's just beautiful and maddening bureaucratic speak to say, this wasn't an official statement, I'm just telling you what I know. 
and then of course having to walk it back. Could these people be uh, more of a parody of themselves if they tried at this point? I was going to say, look, if there's anything we've learned this year, Greg, it's that we can always trust the statements of the World Health Organization when it comes to assessing the con whether a virus is contagious and how easily it spreads. I mean, they, in January, they're telling us it couldn't be spread from person to person because that's what they're hearing from the Chinese. And now again, they're saying, oh, don't worry, if you're asymptomatic, it's fine. I tried to lay this out in one of the later portions of the morning jolt today. So the first thing you got to understand is that there's a difference between asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic. Let's say you catch the virus. Usually within two days, you start to see symptoms. Sometimes you see, uh, you know, sometimes it's a little bit longer. They said the median is four days. Could be as long as 14 days. So if you're like, hey, because the, the way she worded it originally, it sounded like this was remarkably good news. And it suggested that eh, maybe we don't need masks that much. And maybe we wouldn't need the six feet of social distancing because... You know, the idea is like you, whether you may not know if you have the virus, but you sure as heck know whether you have uh, symptoms, you know, if you're coughing, you know, if you're having trouble breathing, all that kind of stuff. Well, what it is, is that you may be asymptomatic or you may simply be pre-symptomatic. The only way to know if you have the virus is to take the test. And of course, the, the test uh, also, that also relies upon the reliability of the test and also the fact that you, you know, it only tells you what your condition was at that time. Not necessarily, you know, it's possibility if it's a negative test, you could have caught the virus between when you took the test and now. The, so pre-symptomatic, it means you just, you have it, you haven't shown any symptoms yet, but at some point in the not too distant future, you will start to show symptoms. And then there's a question of like, how do you measure purely asymptomatic, I mean, people who have SARS-CoV-2 inside their systems, but they do not have um, any symptoms at all. And those who have very mild symptoms, you know what, you caught, <coughs> you know, Cough comes and goes, it's not that bad. Well, maybe that's all, that's all the symptoms you're gonna have. Um, what she meant were the purely asymptomatic, not the kinda asymptomatic, for lack of a better term. Um, the way she said it was unclear, the CNBC headline made it sound like the asymptomatic could not spread it at all. Now, a couple of days ago, Time Magazine did this big story on a new study that said that anywhere from 30 to 45% of, of uh, uh, cases were spread by people who are asymptomatic. Um, so now they've walked it back. Now they're saying it could be 15%. It's, it's starting to sound like an, it's not like an auctioneer, Greg. The numbers keep changing every couple of minutes. <laughs> a short answer is this thing is still contagious. Still take precautions, still be careful out there. And, you know, the World Health Organization apparently doesn't seem to think it's really important to communicate exceptionally clearly at times like this. So when is it going to communicate clearly? Because I would think this would be a fairly important time to do that. But, you know, that's just me. Yeah, whatever. You know. <laughs> next pandemic. Look, look, what are they, you know, next pandemic. Yeah. You know, <laughs> look, it's just, it's just the coronavirus and who's the risk of getting it and who's not and who's the risk of spreading. You know, they, they have bigger decisions to worry about. <laughs> Insert every you had one job gif here. Exactly. Well, they got to comb over the latest uh, Chinese press release just to make sure that they're all there on the same go. page. Yeah. So. What, what, what did Xi Jinping say? Oh, Jim, we're not cynical at all. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our friends over at NetSuite right now. You can get your free guide, Managing Business Uncertainty, and schedule your free product tour for NetSuite by Oracle, netsuite.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review with five stars. Get us on those home devices by saying, play Three Martini Lunch podcast, and join us again Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.